0: Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us in that great, great song of Christmas. Well, this is indeed the first week of the season of Advent. It's a time when churches and followers of Jesus Christ from all around the world spend the next four weeks in, in this state of anticipation. Of anticipating what? The, the busy malls, relatives coming to visit, lots of food, uh, mom's baking, mom's baking, My mom's already been on Facebook, putting pictures of all of her baking up, (laughs) that I'm sure will show up in a parcel that we get soon enough. Yes, all those things are part of the anticipation, but more specifically and more importantly, this is the beginning of the season of anticipation, pointing towards the celebration of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so today, we have this wonderful opportunity to launch into a new sermon series, during which we're going to be diving into some very well-known Christmas carols, such as the one that we just sang. And each week, one of those songs will serve as a point of focus for us. We'll we'll pick some of the lyrics, We'll, we'll grab some of the Scripture references, and we'll unpack that a little bit in order to provide a greater depth of understanding to the message and the history behind each of those songs. The purpose of this is to draw us into deeper worship, But also to draw us into a deeper experience with God during this season. You know, a few years ago, I encountered a series, uh, an Advent series on this very topic. And it was extremely moving and and left a deep impression upon me. And so there there are some influences from that that will come through in some of what I prepare for us this week. But I really wanted to share with you um, some of those themes and do so in a fresh and original way. To go along with this series, we've been able to source. Uh, these devotional guides, which we've uh, customized with our own graphics and whatnot. You'll be able to receive these as you leave the sanctuary today. The ushers will have these for you. And what it is is a 25-day devotional guide, starting on December 1st, if you like, right through until Christmas Day. And on each page, you'll find uh, you'll find the name of a familiar Christmas song, Song of Advent. You'll find a scripture verse. You'll find a bit of a writing to unpack that, and a question that'll draw you deeper into the, uh, the purpose and the theme of that song. I want to strongly encourage you to consider using this as a Christmas devotional as you go through this season of Advent, and maybe even consider using it as a family devotional as you and your family sit together during this time of Advent and get brought deeper into this worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, before we jump into our service, I just want to also mention that I am under the weather. I'm a little slow, you may know, so I'll try and keep the time going, but I may sit down on occasion as well, which is why I have my stool here, if my energy um, gets less than it is at this very moment. So uh, hopefully there'll be grace and you can abide with me in the moments ahead as we walk through this passage today. As we just sang a moment ago, the Christmas favorite we're going to be focusing upon today is the song, "O Holy Night. Is that anyone's, I wouldn't be surprised, anyone's favorite Christmas song? It's probably got to be a couple here. Personally, for me, it's in my top three. It's not my number one. My number one's coming up in a few weeks. I'll let you know when we get there. But this is definitely in my top three for sure. In particular, there's a version I heard back in the 90s by, uh, I think he's a Canadian uh, country singer named John Barry. Anyone remember that name? Maybe have one of his Christmas albums. He has an album named Oh Holy Night. and is a beautiful rendition of that song. But like all songs that we sing in church, there's a story behind the message and a story behind the writing of these songs. This particular song comes from the mid-1800s when a parish priest... Asked a French poet by the name of Placide Chapeau if he would write a poem based upon Luke chapter 2. Now, Placide was not a Christian man. In fact, he was on the other end of the continuum. If you knew him in that day and age, if you saw him walking down the street towards you, you might consider changing sides of the street. This man was very far from the Lord, but he was a wonderful poet. And he accepted the challenge. And in the end, as he wrote this poem based upon Luke chapter 2, he loved the final product so much that he asked one of his friends, who was a musician, to put music to the words that he had penned. And when they put the words and the music together and presented it to the parish priest, it became a huge hit and was sung throughout churches for, for a long time throughout the whole region, until somebody realized who wrote it until somebody realized that the words were from a non-Christian, the music was from a, a non-church-going person, and there were people who decided, this must be stopped. We can't keep singing this song in our churches. But it was too late. The song had caught on so much uh, energy and popularity that they couldn't stop it. And it carries right on through to be a favorite up to this very day. But that's not actually the end of the story. Because about 100 years ago, 110 years ago, there was a Canadian professor by the name of Reginald Fizenden, who on the Christmas Eve of 1906 was tinkering in his shop, working on an experiment, by which he took a generator and plugged it into his little project. And on the other end, he plugged in a microphone, and he broadcast the very first AM signal that ever went out in the history of the world. And speaking into the microphone on that Christmas Eve night of 1906, he began to recite the words of Luke chapter 2, verse 1 when he said, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken for the entire Roman world. And as he continued to read the Christmas story, he got to the end, and he then took out a violin, and he played the first number one chart-topper ever played on the radio as he played O Holy Night. A song that so beautifully recalls that that holy night when, when the stars were brightly shining and when Jesus Christ was placed into the manger, so often depicted in in scenes of peace and tranquility and giving the sense of reassurance. Maybe, perhaps you've seen paintings by Thomas Kincaid or the like of this type of an image that's put forth. But a careful reading of the narrative that's found in Matthew and in Luke, coupled with, well, the realities that we know from childbirth perhaps give a bit of a different image to mind Force. Keep in mind, Mary was nine months pregnant when Joseph said, Mary, I'm going to put you on a donkey and we're going to walk across the desert for 100 miles. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, that night, the baby would be born, which means Mary must have been well into labor at this point. Imagine the panic on Joseph's face, the panic within him as he arrives in Bethlehem. His wife is in labor, and Joseph is struggling to find a place for his wife to deliver, but none can be found. I suspect the stress was high, the words were short, the ends were full, and Mary from a point of pain is saying, just find something already. So that when an offer comes of a stable without thinking, Joseph just says, yes, something, just just anything. Now as a husband and a father, as I look back on that setting, I, I can't help but wonder if Joseph has a sense of failure come upon him a little bit, thinking this, this is all I can provide. This is what I can provide for my family and, and such a special family at that. All I can provide is a messy, smelly stable. But by the end of the night when it's all over, so much of that would start to melt away. And, and that messy night become a holy night as Jesus was born. And this serves to remind us that it, moments in life can be messy. Moments in life can be very difficult and there is often struggle involved in the lives that we live. And that while the stars are shining bright on the night of our Savior's birth, as messy as it was, In that moment, there was a thrill of hope. A thrill of hope as the weary world around them could come to a point of rejoicing. And when you hear those two words, weary world, is that something that you can relate to? Perhaps where you find yourself right now in this moment. Weary world, does that describe feelings that exist within you? I'm going to go on a limb here and say that at least at some point in your journey, you have felt that weariness. I can say very confidently that we've all experienced that at some point or another. I often hear people say things like, I'm so tired. I'm so busy. The stress is welling up. I'm just trying to keep my head above water. In this past year, we've we've heard stories where unemployment becomes questionable, and and that leads to fears on an ability to provide for a family and how are we going to make it. As we've watched and witnessed different changes in the political arena, there are people who have a sense of fear over the loss of freedoms and over an increased loss of safety in the worldwide political system. On a regular basis, we encounter people in relationships that are just messed up. There's challenges ongoing on a daily basis. And if research is true, and it seems to be, we are busier and more stressed than ever before in history and coupled with a loss of of personal time. And so all indicators seem to point to the truth that we often are a weary world. There is weariness in the world around us. But let us not forget, even as we say that, that in the weary world, we have reason to rejoice because there is the thrill of hope found in Jesus Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah who has arrived, And who is to be named Jesus, whose very name means he saves. He will deliver. He will rescue. And in him the thrill of hope has entered the weary world. And so now, yonder breaks a new and glorious morning. With that in mind, I want to draw your attention to a passage of scripture. That we read earlier in Lamentations chapter 3. If you haven't already turned there, I invite you to do so. These are words that were written by the prophet Jeremiah during a time when, when the nations of Israel and Judah, when the city of Jerusalem had fallen. They were under the control of Babylon and at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. And Jeremiah, along with all the people of the nations, were, were distraught. They had lost their city, they had, they had lost their nation, they had lost their freedom, and as they look back and they're thinking, but we're God's chosen people, how could we have lost all of this? The realization dawns upon them that they are now experiencing God's judgment for their unfaithfulness. And so while Jeremiah pours out his heart in these, these words of lament, these, these words of deep pain and sorrow, when we get to the very middle of the book, in chapter 3, something changes. After spending two and a half chapters lamenting, a change happens in what Jeremiah writes. And he writes these words, starting in verse 20. He says, I well remember, I remember the past. I remember the, the waywardness. I remember the unfaithfulness. I remember my sins from the past. He says, I remember well. And when I look back on those things, my soul is downcast within me. Yet. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I will have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His compassions, they will never fail. They are new every morning, because great is His faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait on Him. The Lord is good to those who hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. When Jeremiah looks around, he sees the destruction. He's reminded of the strife. And he knows they're going into a season of captivity. And all seems hopeless. And so he cries out to the Lord along with the nation. These songs of lament. But then from somewhere in the back of his mind, somewhere he recalls this promise, this long-held truth that he had, he had known and heard and cling to in the past. And it brings this sense of hope to him. It brings this ability to look forward this ability to know that the night will not last forever. It brings this sense, this thrill of hope to him in the midst of the weariness and confidence that a new and glorious day with the Messiah will arrive. And so from this passage in Lamentations, there are three truths that I'd like to share with you today, and I pray that they will provide that sense of hope, whether you now or find yourself in the future in a time of weariness that defines your life. The first one, if you're taking notes, is that God is our source of hope. God is our source of hope. He not only knows what we need, but He is able and He is willing to provide it. In verse 24, Jeremiah says this to himself. He says, The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait on Him. What does that mean? What does that phrase, my portion, mean? Well, many scholars, I believe, rightly point back to a time when Israel was wandering in the desert. When they were wandering in the empty, barren desert, a time of daily challenge, a time when they had to have daily faith in God, that he would provide for them. And more often, near the beginning, he he starts providing manna for them from heaven. In Exodus 16, we read the story where they start to grumble. They start to complain they got nothing to eat. In the middle of the desert, we're going to starve to death. So the Lord says to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven. You're to go out and gather what you need each day. No more, no less. Go out and gather what you need for each day. And if you try and gather more, it's going to rot. It's going to be full of magnets and it's going to smell bad. And in this lesson, they had to learn to live faithfully under God's goodness and under God's provision. Understanding that he knows what they need. He cares about what they need. And even when it seems utterly impossible, he is able to provide for them what they need. And that same lesson is brought up again by Jesus when he teaches his disciples to pray, when he tells them to pray and to have faith that God would give to them this day their daily bread. So whatever is happening in your life, whatever might be making you feel weary, whatever leads to the sense of hopelessness that makes you think, will I ever see the morning? Whether that be economic uncertainty, whether it be depression, this time of year, Depression swells. As many as one in three people throughout their lifetime will suffer with depression. But in particular, at Christmas time, there's a, a, a jump in that. Whether it be relationships that are struggling, that leads to have sleepless nights. At times, these problems and so many more can make us feel overwhelmed, where we can't see past the struggle where it leads to weariness. And if we keep our eyes focused upon that situation, if all we do is keep our eyes focused upon, upon the small world around us that seems to be in strife and struggle, hope will gradually fade. That will happen if that is where we keep our eyes. But that is why the psalmist in Psalm 121 says, Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes to the hills. Because where does my help come from? He says, My help comes from the Lord the Lord who is the maker of heavens and earth, I will lift my eyes up to him because he who watches over me never sleeps and he never slumbers. God knows what you need. And God is that source of hope for a weary world. The second promise that I wish to share with you today from this passage is that God is not only our source of hope, but he is in fact also the object of our hope as well. In verse 23, Jeremiah says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. See, the reason Jesus brings this thrill of hope is that He is the incarnation of God Himself. Jesus is not another God. Jesus is not some human who was born and then, and then adopted by the Holy Spirit later on in life. Jesus is God in flesh. As as Matthew recalls in his telling of the Christmas story, he recalls back to the promise that says, His name shall be Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so it is through him, it is through Jesus that God demonstrates his love for us. Which later on, after Jesus' death and resurrection, Peter would summarize this beautifully for us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, when he says, Through Jesus you believe in God. And it is God who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him, so your hope and your faith are in God. Because of and through Jesus Christ. God not only provides hope, but He is in fact the object of our hope to the one who will seek Him. To the one who will seek Him. Because we all know that to some degree, and I count myself among this group, we are all guilty of tending to seek hope in other things. We seek hope in other things, and therefore we end up living, at least for a period of time, a hope-deprived life. Because we've placed our hope in things that were never designed to sustain hope. At times we think, well, once I get married, or, or if I could just find that significant other, I would be complete. We put hope in other people. But if you look to a spouse or to a friend to make you happy, even with the best of intentions, we all know the truth that they will let us down. It's not because they're bad people. It's because they're people. They were never designed to sustain hope for a lifetime. People at times look to money and possessions and security and these types of things. With this idea that if I just have enough retirement, if I have enough of a buffer or a cushion, I'll I'll be okay, I can handle anything that comes my way. But I remember a few years back when, when the market started to go down and had a pastor friend of mine who was on the verge of retirement and had his RSPs ready to go until one night a statement came and they were 50% of what he had planned. And, and fear just shook him as the market crashed in such a, a rapid pace. You know, C.S. Lewis speaks about this. He speaks about the subject of hope and every person's need for it. And he said these words, He said, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they want something that cannot be had in this world. Speaking of hope, he says, there are all sorts of things in this world that can offer to give it to you. But they never quite keep their promises. so many people will reach a point where they join that weary world. And it reaches the point where they wonder if there's anything good left in the world. Is there anything left to have hope in? which is where we point back to God. We point back to the promises of Scripture, that if, if it's written in there, and people, if we believe it's true, we've got to stand fast upon it. Because Paul gives us this. He says in Romans 15, that may the God of hope fill you. May He fill you with all joy. May He fill you with peace as you place your trust in Him. Not in other things, but as you place your trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope overflowing with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Any hope that we have that is enduring comes from God. And it's not based simply upon unfounded optimism. It finds its evidence in the reality of God's love for us, which was so beautifully demonstrated first in the birth, in His life, in His death, but then in the resurrection and glorification of Jesus Christ. And this is not a hope that can be conjured up by human effort. And it cannot be found within ourselves, it cannot be found within the world. As C.S. Lewis is trying to explain here, what our hearts yearn for is not of this world. That hunger, that emptiness that our hearts are longing for is not found in this world. It is revealed and it is fulfilled in the Holy Spirit that comes to indwell every person who places their faith and places their hope in Jesus Christ. Because in him alone do we find the thrill of hope for a weary world that enables us to rejoice. Jeremiah continues this thought. He continues to build upon this thought in in the next verse of this passage as he further defines this hope, and he defines it as a hope of deliverance. Now, deliverance, or another word for deliverance is salvation, can mean different things to different people. And so in verse 26, he adds this. He says, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Now, there are those here where your deliverance needs first to be found in understanding that you have a need for a Savior. Salvation for your soul. There are many who have heard the name of Jesus, but many have also never looked to him as their Savior. They simply say he was a good teacher. He was a moral man who had some good philosophies. But that's it. But I want to tell you that he offers so much more. He offers so much more than that. Not only is he our source, not only is he the object of our hope in the here and the now, but he offers it for all of eternity as well. Now John tells the story of a time when Jesus was wandering out into this land of Samaria. And at high noon, he was hot and the sun was burning down on him. So he finds his way at midday to this well to have a drink. And there's a woman there. Now, this woman had made poor choices. This woman had ended up being scorned by many in society. She had lived a tough life. In part because she had made some of those bad choices. And she had trusted in relationships. She had trusted in other people. And they had failed her and she had failed them. At the end of the day, it just left her empty and a sense of hopelessness inside. And so as Jesus converses with her, at one point he he points to the water in the well. And and he points to it, using it as a metaphor for her life. And he says this, everyone who drinks this water in in this well is going to thirst again. But the one who drinks the water I give will will never be thirsty again. For the water I give will become in that person a flowing fountain that gives eternal life. But when you're starving for food and someone gives you a glass of water, you drink it fast because you just want something, but it might satisfy for a few seconds, but it's fleeting because there's no nourishment in that. You might fool your stomach for a minute, but you go back to the very same point you began as your stomach begins to grumble again. Well, our souls and our lives can be similar to that, where there's a grumbling, a a yearning, that things of this world, it's like giving water to somebody who's hungry. They trick you for a minute, but they never sustain and nourish. What Jesus offers is not available anywhere else, because there is no one like Him, and there is nothing else beyond Him that can truly satisfy that hunger that is in everyone's soul. When we try to place our trust and our hope in Him, There's that gift of salvation He grants to us that satisfies our soul like an eternal flowing fountain that gives eternal life. And if you will choose to take that step this day, if you have not placed your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ, you can do that today. And if you do, Christmas will have a whole new meaning for you this year because you will experience for the first time as, as Jesus delivers your soul, and the Spirit comes to indwell you, you'll experience for the first time that thrill of hope as a member of God's family. Now, there are also those here who are already part of God's family. You've been born into that family, and deliverance for you would be defined a different way. It would be defined as as being saved from a difficult situation. Whether that appeared suddenly, or it's been enduring for a long time now, it brings this sense of, of uncertainty and despair to you. This very week alone, I've heard of people who are dealing with broken marriages, with people who are wrestling with drug addictions, with people who don't know what's going to happen with their wayward children, people who have been diagnosed with cancer this week. There is always pain and weariness and struggle in the world. And as I sit to write this sermon, I, I, I couldn't wonder. But in this weary world in which people find themselves, I, I wonder how do they feel about this verse? How do they feel about this verse that says, it is good to wait. It's good to wait for the salvation of the Lord. How how do you receive that in the midst of a challenge? I don't have all the answers to all that. But my fear is that many will let go of this hope because of their situations. They'll let go of this hope and they'll grab onto the fear and the anxiety of the night they find themselves in. My fear is that they will exchange the truth of God for the lies of the world and for the lies of the evil one rather than clinging to the hope that God has in his promises. There was a German pastor by the name of Paul Gerard who found himself at a crossroads like this. At a point of crossroads between hope and defeat and despair. It was a story from back in the 17th century during the Thirty Years' War. He and his family had been forced to flee their home one night. And as they ran for their lives, hearing the fighting behind them, knowing that all that they had come to know, including some of the people they had come to know who stayed behind to fight, that all of that was going to be lost. They ran for their lives and they found themselves in a small village in, with the realization that they are homeless, that they have nothing, and they are terrified for their lives. In the midst of this, Gerald's wife broke down in despair. And so he came to comfort her. And and Gerald comforted her with with reminding her of the promises of God from Scripture. He reminded her that God promises to provide. He reminded her that God promises to, to keep them and to never forsake them. And after praying with her and reading these promises, she reached a point of calm. And when she had settled down, he walked outside in the middle of the night out to the garden to be alone where he then himself broke down and wept. In the middle of that night, as he was weeping, he he felt like he had come to his darkest hour. He found himself at that crossroads of hope or defeat. And as he wept, he prayed. And as he prayed, he felt this burden start to lift a little bit as he felt the presence of the Lord upon him to the point where he walked back inside and he put pen to paper and he wrote a hymn that has encouraged and comforted many for many, many decades. He wrote these words. Give to the winds thy fears. Hope and be undismayed. For God hears thy sighs. God counts thy tears. God shall lift up thy head. Through waves and clouds and storms, he gently clears the way. Wait though his time, so shall the noon, or so so soon shall the night soon end in glorious day. It is often darkest before God makes His presence known. He gives us the opportunity to see clearly. And he can use those moments that seem darkest to show us that He is our only sustainable source of strength and hope. And when we come to see this truth, like Pastor Gerald, we receive a thrill of hope that for while it may be dark for a while, there is a new day coming. And what an amazing difference that new day can make with Jesus Christ. For some, this salvation that is needed this day is salvation from God for your very souls. For others, it is a salvation out of the darkness of the night that you may find yourself in. But the light of the new and glorious morning is almost here. This is a season of anticipation. It's a season of Advent. It is a season of hope. The night is almost over. There is a thrill of hope that is coming. For He is truly the source and the object of our hope. And it is in Him that we can find our salvation for whatever may come. So rejoice, weary world. For the night of our Savior's birth is almost upon us. And yonder breaks a new and glorious morning for all. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son who makes all the difference. Lord, you never wanted us to wander through this world alone. That's why you gave us each other as well. That we collectively, as those who have placed our faith and our hope in you, may uplift one another. But God, may our hope not just be in one another, but find its source and find its object in you, Father. Because you are the one who can truly sustain God, I pray for the ministry of your Holy Spirit in this place as as those who have not yet taken that step of faith in you, that they would find the strength and the courage that they would hear and sense that yearning within their souls that is crying out for you. God, may they take that step this very day and find the thrill of hope in this Christmas season. God, I know there are also people in this place where Christmas is not a happy time. I know there are people who... Typically it is, but given what's happening this year, it is a difficult time for them. For them as well, Lord, I pray for your ministry in their lives. May you bring hope to what seems darkest. May you bring light into those lives that truly with arms raised we could proclaim that you are the hope of our lives in a weary world. We pray this in Jesus' holy name.